The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about five thousand in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough, because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. O oh Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. The past month or so has offered Americans a chance to go down memory lane and into ourselves through the lives of many famous individuals. I'll mention a few of them here. We've had the heroics of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins and the Apollo moon landing. A generation mourned the passing of Walter Cronkite, America's security blanket, as one commentator called him, who narrated decades of America's triumphs and tragedies. Another generation mourned the passing of Michael Jackson, 
whose music was the soundtrack of the lives of millions, present included, and whose influence transcended race and culture and continent. More recently, the firestorm over Henry Louis Gates' arrest has reminded us that the ghosts of our racial history are still very, very present with us, particularly in relationships between African American and white men. Today, we have a chance to look at history and ourselves through the character of David. One of the good things about our lectionary, which is the arrangement and apportionment of Scripture into three Sundays, uh, three years of Sundays, is that we get whole swaths of continuous stories from the Hebrew Bible. And this morning we're in the midst of one of those stories. You may have noticed that since the middle of June, we've been hearing about David. David was Israel's most important king, a man who, along with Moses and Solomon and Isaiah, tower above Israel's history. We started in June with David's succession of Saul as the king of Judah, and we'll end in a couple of weeks with Solomon, one of David's most famous sons. It's part of a sweeping historical saga, sometimes called by scholars the succession narrative, which chronicles the rise of kingship in Israel. Now, while this particular passage comes from nearly 3,000 years ago, it does have kind of a contemporary ring to it, don't you think? The more things change, the more they stay the same. The literary artistry here is considerable, but for now I will only summarize the situation quickly. David, while home behind the lines during yet another military campaign, takes a fancy to a woman named Bathsheba. He inquires after her identity, finds that she is the husband of one of his most trusted soldiers, sends for her, sleeps with her, sends her home. She sends word that she is pregnant. David pulls her husband back from battle and tries to send him home to sleep with her so as to hide the king's paternity. When Uriah's loyalty to his fellow troops keeps him from going home, David conspires to send him conveniently and safely to the front to have him killed in battle. Now, it might be easy to dismiss this story as simply a morality tale about the abuse of power, power abused for personal gain, or to meditate on the incongruity between public persona and private character. We've had plenty of those kinds of stories recently, haven't we? And we dismiss it with a little, maybe with a measure of outrage at the hypocrisy and outrage at the costs that voiceless women and children have to pay along the way. Or we yawn and say, what do you expect? Another one at it again. And we safely keep the whole thing at arm's length and move on. How many of us have given in to temptation? 
How many of us have done something we knew was wrong because we had the power to do it? And because we believed we could get away with it. How many of us have thoughtlessly hurt loved ones in a selfish pursuit? How many of us have rationalized roadblocks away to have our own way and impose our own will, no matter what the consequences, and then tried to move heaven and earth to cover our tracks? We can each raise our hands in response to those questions in the privacy of our own hearts. This story marks a pivotal point in David's history. Up until now, David's story has been more or less, more actually, a march to glory with God clearly on David's side, destined for kingship from humble origins, slayer of the giant Goliath, anointed as king by Samuel, unifier of the twelve tribes, empire builder, creator of the capital at Jerusalem, to which he brought home the Ark of the Covenant, Israel's most precious religious treasure, source of his identity. Nothing but glory for David. This last, however, marks the beginning of descent into personal and dynastic disaster. In this episode alone, David breaks four of the commandments. Thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. Four out of ten, that's four hundred. From now on, incest and rape and murder and treachery multiply like viruses in the house of David. Now, fast forward to a time about 1,000 years later, to the time of Jesus. This story comes from Jesus' Bible. Our Hebrew Bible was the Bible that Jesus and other Jews of his time and Jews still today ponder and study and hear and worship. It's sacred scripture. It was sacred scripture for Jesus. And I wonder what Jesus thought of when he heard this saga read in the synagogue. Maybe he studied it with a rabbi. I imagine in his humanity, he might have had the same initial reaction that we had. I wonder if he yet understood himself to be descended from the house of David. That, of course, was one of the earliest claims about him that the earliest Christians made. And perhaps Jesus, in his divinity, came to see something, someone, different and differently as the story unfolded. Surely he grew more familiar with it, hearing it year after year. And as he himself grew in grace and wisdom, maybe he saw a human being in David with great gifts, warrior, poet, musician, shepherd, liturgist, a man of deep, deep faith who danced, who danced in front of the ark with the love of the Lord. Maybe Jesus saw that human being as a hero, but also as a human being with two feet planted firmly on the ground. 
squarely on planet Earth. None of which excused David's behavior, nor did it stop the chain of consequences unleashed by his sin. But maybe Jesus is able to place David and you and me squarely within the realm of human being. Maybe Jesus loves us as creatures whom God routinely uses to accomplish feats both mighty and mundane. Maybe Jesus loves us, each and every one of us, as humans, each of us, both sinner and saint. Maybe he loves each one of us with the love that surpasses knowledge, surpasses knowledge, as Paul puts it today. And maybe Jesus can teach us to love one another in just the same way. Amen.